Welcome to Neighborhood Christian Fellowship this morning. <laughs> Man, we all have technical difficulties, right? <laughs> um, we are continuing week two of our series uh, called Invitation to Intimacy. And so if you need a Bible, we just ask you to raise your hand. We have ushers that will bring those to you. If you do not have a Bible of your own, this is yours. You could take it home, write your name in it. It's yours for keeps. And uh, we just want you reading that. It's, it's really important. It's the Word of God. And so as we get into week two of our Song of Songs series, one of the things that I wanted to do is, uh, was tell you, a, a, I guess, a self-deprecating story, a story that uh, makes me sad a little bit. Um, this week, my wife and I were playing cribbage. It's an old English game. Some of you know how to play cribbage. Some of you have beat me at cribbage, Josh and Marlia. Um, and we're playing cribbage on the couch. We do that you know, as the kids are going to bed, we'll, we'll play a couple games, and my wife, like, has been wiping me out lately, but anyways, um, we said, go, go get ready for bed, go get jammies on, they're all, they all know how to do that, and Jake comes running up and just his undies, right, because this is how a four-year-old gets ready for bed, you know, he comes running up, and he stands on the couch, and he's kind of standing over me, he's like, look, mom, I'm just like dad, my belly's getting big, Like four seconds later, I'm on the floor doing crunches, you know. We're laughing. It's funny. And I mean, I don't think it's that big. And Jake is skin and bones, you know. He's not getting a big belly, but he just wants to be big like daddy. But those words, even though they're out of the mouth of a four-year-old, you know there's some truth to them, right? When a four-year-old says something, you're like, oh, man. You know, he he gets you a little bit self-conscious about how you look and, and, and all that stuff. Words are powerful. Words are extremely powerful. In fact, the Bible talks about the power of words. And I, I just want to talk about that for a second. When Desiree and I first got married, we took this test, the five love languages, which is available online. Just Google five love language test, and it'll tell you how you feel loved. And, and it'll tell you how you give love. So Desiree feels love in words of affirmation. So if you guys want her to just like perk up, just walk outside and say, you look really nice today. You know, that's the trick, okay? She's going to listen to this and go, oh, that's why everybody, that's why everybody did that. But that's her love language. As, I'm not sure if it's just a man or just who I am. I have emotion, I just don't say it, right? Like, that's just me, that's just who I am. And I had to learn those first few years of our marriage that if I thought she looked pretty, I should say that. Like, I know that's obvious, and all of you guys don't have that problem. It's just me. A couple chuckles, because you know you do it too. Um, but I gave love by acts of service. This is how I give love. I'm like, oh, let me help you with this. Your car's a pigsty. Let me clean it out for you. Let me wash your car. Let me do this. Let me do that. And, and one day, I just remember, I, I had like a day off. There was no school, because I, I was in seminary when we first got married. There was no school. There was nothing. And I spent the whole day doing stuff for her. And she came back, and I was like, look what I did for you. Da, da, da. You know, it was like, I cleaned your car. I did this. I organized your closet. And she's like, ah, oh, all right. And I was like, what? Are you, I, like, I expected Hail of the Chiefs start playing, and, like, it was going to be amazing. Like, I expected amazing things. She was like, yeah, 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 that's cool. And then she would tell me, like, I don't feel loved by you because you don't say anything. And I was like, but I do stuff. And so I just had to learn in our marriage that words are powerful for her. And I just had to learn that I had to start saying what I was actually feeling and what I was thinking. And once I started doing that, 
stuff started getting a lot better. Like, it was a lot easier. We sort of figured each other out. And I think a lot of times in marriages, that needs to happen, but it also needs to happen with our kids, right? Because the way you speak to your children is the way that they expect a partner or spouse to, to speak to them later on in the future. So it's important all the way around. If you talk down to them, they'll find someone that thinks if talking down to them is okay. They'll find somebody else, and when they talk down to them, they'll go, that's just the way my dad talked to me. It's not a big deal. So words are powerful. They have a long-lasting and lingering effect. In fact, Jesus talked about this a lot. In, in Matthew 12, verse 34, it'll be up on the screens. It says, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good for for your mouth, I'm sorry, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In an older translation, it says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? Jesus is saying, every time you open your mouth, you're exposing what's on the inside. What we say is important because it exposes who we are. It exposes our insides. It exposes all of that stuff. Every word shows off what's happening inside of you. If you keep going in Matthew 12, verse 36 and 37, it says, But I tell you that everyone who will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Ouch, right? For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Well, that's a fun scripture, right? Nobody wants to hear that. I don't want to be judged by the words I've said. I've said some dumb things. And how, raise your hand if you said dumb things. Okay. There's a couple of you who are just totally clean and good. But the rest of us, we're in trouble. Except for, this is the point of the cross. The point of the cross is Jesus saying, you could be judged by my words, not your own. You could be judged by my deeds, my actions, who I am, not who you are. I will replace that. I will stand in your way. I will be your advocate. So words matter. Jesus is trying to tell us over and over and over again, listen, Words matter. They matter in co-working relationships. They matter in, in marriage. They matter with your kids. They matter with your friends. They matter just what you put out there in public. And, you know, sometimes you just get angry and you think, oh, online I could just be a big jerk and I'm just going to throw this out there. How many times has that happened, right? Words matter. They linger around. They hang out. They affect our witness as believers and, and they affect everything about us. So as we get into the Song of Songs today, if you have a Bible, I would just ask you to open the Song of Songs. Uh, we're going to be still in chapter 1 and chapter 2 today. We're getting through a lot more today. So um, I would just ask you to open to chapter 1, verse 5. And we're going to look at how much words matter in these scenarios. So like I said last week, let me just set up last week so we can go right into this week as you're flipping to Song of Songs, uh, chapter 1. Last week we talked about sex, and we talked about how there's a transactional view, right? That it, it's just sort of like, it's just sex, that's just what it is, no big deal. And this is the mold that our world pushes us into. That you're just, it's just, there's nothing attached to it. It's just emotion, there's, there's no emotion involved, it's just sex. No big deal. But what I argued is that all the way through the Bible, and through this song, Song of Songs, there's this sort of pattern that unveils itself. That there is intimacy, deep intimacy, along with the physical. That it's not just sex. That there's a lot of intimacy involved in all of that. And so the, and we talked about how there's two main characters. There's the woman and the man. And the woman speaks a little bit more of the time. She's the main character. And the man sort of responds to the woman throughout this, uh, throughout this song. There's also this character of friends who 
we're going to see a little bit of today as well. So let's get into it. She just um, basically in, in verses 1 through 5, uh, 1 through 4, she talked about how much she loved this guy, about how there was this deep character thing with him, how she loved his character, but there was also some physical stuff that she loved about him as well. And everybody who saw this rejoiced in their love. So look, let's look at verses 5 through 7 real quick. This is the woman speaking, and she says, Dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, or Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I'm dark, because I'm darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me, and they made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I have had to neglect. Tell me, you whom I love. Where you gaze your flock, and where you will rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman besides the flock of your friends? So this woman starts with revealing her own insecurities, right? And ladies, you probably cannot identify with this woman at all, right? You're like, oh, she's insecure about the way she looks? Oh. The reason why we ladies so often are insecure, and guys are insecure too, so don't, don't get me wrong here. But so oftentimes are insecure because there's been something that's been happening for ages. And that is society decides what beauty looks like. And then they push that on us. Right? This is what society does. It's like Barbie. That's what beautiful is. Young girls, you should look like Barbie. And, and anything else is just not beautiful. And, and this magazine cover, you should just look like this magazine cover. And everybody who we cast for movies, you should just look like these people. And if you don't look like these people, then you're not beautiful. This is what was happening in this society, too. Society had developed a standard of beauty, and they pushed it on people. So therefore, everybody, just sort of in the back of their mind, who doesn't look like one of those people, starts to feel insecure about that. And that happens all the time. I see it with my own kids all the time. And they're, they're you know, seven. Lucy will be seven tomorrow. Tell her happy birthday. It's her birthday tomorrow. Um, Lucy will be seven tomorrow and Emma's eight and a half and and you see it all the time it's like oh these kids are wearing this at school and and everybody thinks that's cool so I want to wear that it's just natural it just happens in our society but it's something we need to push against I believe so in society this became prolific in her society thin and tan which this woman was because she worked in the fields and she was under the sun was not sexy it was not a symbol of beauty. In fact, it was a symbol of, of, um, of working in the fields and being a peasant and being poor. They would have hated the show Baywatch, all these people, right? Because these people, thin and tan, is kind of our standard of beauty that our society artificially constructs. In their society, and, and this is actually in a commentary, I did not make this up, pale and plump is the standard of beauty, right, in this society. And so you showed that you were wealthy by the fact that you didn't go outside and you had plenty to eat. So you were a wealthy person and you had status in society. You look at paintings throughout the ages of women and it reveals the standard of beauty that has changed. And I've said this before in a past sermon series, but here's the, the problem with this. Is that society over and over and over again says, this is what beautiful is, and they push it into a box. This is what beautiful is. Guys, your standard of beauty is your wife. That's it. There's no other standard of beauty out there. You said yes, you said I do. It doesn't matter if she's had five babies, it, yet she's your standard of beauty. It doesn't matter. 
She is your standard of beauty. Ladies, your husband is your standard of beauty. We're going to get into that a lot more in just a moment. Because one of the things that she did, she revealed her insecurity, and then down at verse 7 she says, Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where the rest of your sheep are at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman besides the flock of your friends? Here's what she's saying. I want to come find you. Because remember in verses 1 through 4, she said about her man, I want you. They're like, I love you and I want you. I want to come find you. And this is what she's saying. And remember, this is all in the context of like a song or like a poem. And, and so it's almost like if you're watching this on stage play out, she would say, tell me where to find you, you know. I'm probably not that good of a singer as me, that lady, probably not. But she would be like, tell me where to, where to find you. And don't make me walk around looking for you because then I'll look like a prostitute. That's what a veiled woman was in those times. So don't make me look bad. Give me honor and just tell me where you're going to be so I can go straight to you. And, and he replies, but before we get into verse 8, um, your Bible might say it's attributed to friends. Um, there's been some scholarly debate on all this, and some of you don't care, but I would say the bulk of scholarship disagrees with the NIV version and say that it's the male's voice, not the friend's voice. See, what happened was when people got the Bible and they started making it accessible to people, these headings came later, friends, he, she, all that stuff, um, by people who said, okay, people need to know who's speaking, so we're just going to write this so they don't have to do all sorts of study. And there's been debate on this verse, and I just tell you this, it doesn't really matter. But um, half, the, half the theological community said it's, it's friends, and the other half says it's the man's voice. I read it as the man's voice. Ouch. I read it as the man's voice, so I just wanted to let you know that. So verses, um, verse 8. If you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze, for your, and, and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. So what he's saying to her is an invitation to a midday rendezvous, a tryst. I don't know how to say it without, I'm just going to say that. He is literally inviting her to this outdoor romantic moment. A- and um, she's just revealed her deep-rooted insecurities. And she's like, tell me where to find you. I just want to be alone with you. A- and then this is what he says, and, and this, is, this is beautiful. He says this, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among ferrets, chariot horses, your cheeks are beautiful with earrings. Your neck is with strings of gold. We will make earrings out of gold studded with silver. Guys, if you're here with your wife, just turn to her and say, my darling, you are a mare among ferrets, cheros. I mean, just tell her that. Like, just turn and say that to her right now, right? Thank you for saying that. So, so this is the first one. If you're married, your spouse is your standard of beauty. I've already, I've already said that. Now, I want to set the scene for what a huge compliment he is paying her here because we don't understand this in our own language in our own verbiage today in in fact we don't often compare women to horses right that's kind of we we would go that's pretty rude but you look back at shakespearean literature in in all times when horses were um, modes of transportation beauty has been compared to that of a horse so this is a good thing but it's also really interesting to note this. There was um, this, uh, this, the, well, let me just start with this. The Egyptian chariot horses were all uh, manned by stallion horses. Men, man, men, uh, male horses. And they were 
fast, and they were feared. And, and ferriots, ferry, I kept saying this, Pharaoh's chariots, I feel like we could just shorten that to ferriot, but that's okay. <laughs> Pharaoh's chariots were like the, the German Blitzkrieg. Like, they came in super fast. They were highly feared. They were such an effective weapon of battle. And it would have been like trying to hit one of those with their armor, trying to kill the guy on there. You just, you're just better off running or hiding in a hole or something like that or putting up your armor because you're not going to win against a, an Egyptian chariot attack. But there's these groups of people called the Kadash people. They're a desert tribe that would constantly have these skirmishes with Egypt. And what the Kadesh people did was really brilliant. They put out a mare in heat. And they put it out among Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh's chariots. Pharaoh's chariots. They put the mare in heat among Pharaoh's chariots. And the horses went crazy. They were, and they, they were like, we're going to win. This is awesome. But all the accounts of this battle show that, that the chariot riders were pretty smart. And as the horses were diverted to the mare in heat, they just simply had to kill the horse and then they could go on and win the battle. But what he's saying to her is this, you see yourself as ugly. You see yourself here uh, on the outskirts of society as being poor, as pushed aside, as worthless, having no value. But my darling, you drive all the other guys wild. That's who you are. That's who you are to me. I don't care about anybody else. And keep in mind, he says, I like in you. This is his personal opinion. It's not everybody else's opinion because everybody else's opinion is that she's ugly. Everybody else's opinion is that she's worthless, that she has no value. But he says, I liken you to this horse that drives all other horses wild. My darling, you are studded with, with gold. You, you have diamonds. I mean, you are beautiful. What he, basically, what he's saying about the jewelry there is, is he is saying, listen, I know that you're poor, but I think that just being with you is like having the greatest wealth in the world. You see what he's doing, married and even dating couples. You need to know that you have the power to create insecurities in your partner and your spouse, or you have the power to kill insecurities in your relationship. There's a lot of baggage, right? That we, we talk about our past li- like stuff, our past relationships as baggage that we bring into relationships. Relationship insecurities from previous relationships, all sorts of things. And, and the easiest place to see these is in extreme cases. And think about um, the people who've been sexually assaulted or physically abused. They will carry that with them for years, always feeling less than or insecure. This week in the news, uh, there was the sentencing of the Olympic doctor, uh, Nasser. In that case, 156 women came forward to talk about the hell that he put them through their whole life. And they're going to have to be dealing with this their whole life. Now, that's an extremely extreme case. These poor women, though, have to carry that abuse into every relationship they've ever gone into. Guys, it, it, it gets worse. I want you to think about this. Nine out of ten victims of sexual assault, assault are women. Nine out of ten. So, men, I'm talking to you. Your job here, you, have to, you just have to imagine that, that, that your wife or that the person that you're going to date, guys, has been through stuff or been through something or has been spoken to, it, at the very least, said some th- wrong things to. At the very most, maybe sexually assaulted. Guys, God wants to use you to heal that in her. 
and walk with her through that. And, and I've seen it play out in marriages all, all the time. The Center of Disease Control s- estimates that one in six women will either be a victim of rape or attempted rape in their lifetime. Guys, we need men of the church to stand up and show the world how to treat women, especially in your marriages and especially with your kids and especially out in society. When, when you see something, you've got to say something. So men, here's what I want you to understand. As a man, we, we generally feel like protectors. I mean, that's just, I think, hardwired into men. Um, and we've got to protect our families, and, and that's all a very good thought, and it's all really important. But sometimes uh, what I want you to really think about today is how can you be a healer? How can you walk with Jesus and in your marriage and be a healer of past hurts and speak security to her insecurity because of these past hurts? The next fill in the blank is you have the power to heal or to hurt with your words. This is what the husband does for his wife. He speaks directly to her insecurities. And he says, I want you to know, I liken you. Not the world, not whatever the world thinks. He says, I liken you to this beautiful horse that drives all the other horses crazy. And ladies, there are men who will tear you down just to build you up. There are men who will tear you down just to build you up. This is what I want my daughters to hear if if they ever go listen to this series. Steer clear of those guys. They will create hurt so that they can be the healer. And I've seen that happen too. Stay away. They will joke about something. They will say something demeaning and then call them the nicest thing you've ever heard. It's sort of like the the, the compliment sandwich approach, right? It's like, oh, I love you. Oh, I don't like this. Oh, I love you. And it's just sort of the subtle teardown, subtle teardown, subtle teardown. And, and they don't even realize they're doing it, but they become the hurter in order to become the hero and the healer. Don't fall for it. Let's keep going with some of this intimate language. Verse 12. While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is to me like a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My beloved to me is a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Ingeta. In verse 12, she talks about her perfume spreading its fragrance. What she is saying in 2018 language is, I'm throwing down the vibe, right? That's what she's saying. And maybe I'd go back to a couple years and she's saying like, in in like 90s language, she's saying, I want you, (laughs) I'm throwing down the vibe. I want you. And in verse 13, they're probably reclining at the table at this point. And, and she's spoken about her, his fragrance before. And she's saying that that smell I spoke about, that, that fragrance. And now his head is resting on my chest. Remember we talked about how people who, who viewed this allegorically last week, they would take this, like the early, early commentators who wanted to avoid sex altogether in the Bible. And they would say, well, the, the head of the man the soul of Christ resting in believer, and, and the rest are the twin commandments to love God and love your neighbor. And that's what they would say about this verse. But it really, it's not. It's a picture of intimacy. That they're so close and she feels so secure with him and so comfortable with him because of the words that he is speaking to her. That she feels comfortable to let him lay his head on her chest. She feels safe. 
They're getting close, and she's speaking her desire for her husband. Guys, your wife needs to hear words, affirming and encouraging words. Ladies, your husband needs to hear words too. Words like, I love you, you're so pleasing to me. Stuff stuff like that. I'm not going to tell you what to say, that would just be weird. Let's keep going. Verse, verse 17. <laughs> the beams of our house are cedars, our rafters are firs. I'm sorry, I skipped way down. Verse 15. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes are doves. That's a little nicer to say these days, right, than to say you're like a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. How handsome you are, my, my beloved. How charming, and our bed is verdant. The beams of our house are like cedars. The, the rafters are firs. I'm just going to pause there for just a moment. So first he says, your eyes are like doves. He's basically saying, you're, you're beautiful. You have soft eyes. And, and this is the moment of intimacy because they're face to face now, right? They're talking about each other's eyes. They're face to face. And it's all figurative language, of course, too, but she's talking they're both talking about how love, how much love they have for each other. In verse 16 and 17, she talks about the bed and the beams of cedars and the rafters are firs. Remember earlier, she said, tell me where you're going to graze the rocks and I'll come find you. And then he said, just follow the trail. That I, that. So basically, the picture we have here is not them necessarily in a banquet hall, which we'll talk about in a moment, but of them laying down under a tree, stealing away a romantic afternoon, looking up at the branches of the furs because they just want to be with each other. And the conversation continues. She starts by saying, I'm a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. And he says, like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. Now I want to pause here for a second. What she's saying is like a lily of the valleys. Well, yeah, there's lots of lilies in the valleys. And she's basically saying she's still insecure here. He's spoken all these nice things to her, but still, she's, she's saying, here's another insecurity I have. It, it's just that I'm kind of like the same as everybody else. There's nothing special about me. There's nothing, like, extraordinary about me. I'm just kind of the same as everybody else. There's nothing that sets me apart. And what does he say? No, you're like a lily among thorns. You're like the one among all of these other thorns out there. So again, he continues to speak into her insecurities, continues to speak into her, to appropriately highlight her beauty. Verse 3, Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. And then she's sort of returning the compliment here, because if you're walking through a forest, chances are you're not going to find an apple tree, Right? And if you're on a long journey and you do find an apple tree, it's like, oh, awesome. There's food here and there's shade and there's, I, I could just sort of rest here and eat. This is amazing. And she's saying, among all the other trees, you were like an apple tree that I could just sort of sit here with and I could find my nourishment in. And what the, what the author, I think, is really trying to get the point of today is that they're really just enjoying time with each other. Verse 4. Let him lead me to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. In these ancient times, 
these tribes would have banners in their banquet hall revealing the military power they had over their enemies, revealing how great they were, revealing all sorts of different things. But she says, basically, you were like, she's called him a king before. And, and so she's basically saying, like, the way you treat me, I feel like I'm in the midst of a giant banquet uh, among the whole nation, and there's a banner just over me. I feel like you're spending all of your attention just on me, and I feel so loved right now. It's so loved that there's banners over everything just for me. If you're, like, walked in your house and you're, maybe your, your spouse did a little surprise thing for you or something like that, and it was just all for you, and you're like, wow, that was all for me? I just, you just feel so special. And that's what she's saying. And in a little bit deeper terms, in Psalm 45, it's, it's a messianic psalm. The psalm speaks of the Messiah fighting for his bride. And some commentators talk about the link that are between these two verses. He's saying that this, this, he, this man has marked me out, all my imperfections, all my insecurities, and his banner over me is love. Verse 5. Strengthen me with raisins. Now she's, she's speaking to her friends, by the way. Strengthen me with raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and the... Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I charge you by the gazelles of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Now this is where we see her address her friends. She, most commentators wrote this. She is faint from lovemaking. All right, commentator said it. I didn't. Um, she describes her lover, and they're face to face. Her, his hand is behind her. She's pulling her towards, or pulling him towards. No, he is pulling her towards him. Sorry. Oh man, too many pronouns to remember. Um, but she rightfully warns her friends of the power contained in what they're doing. She rightfully warns them, and she says, "Do not." <laughs> Do not, this is not a passive thing. This is not like, oh, we saw each other on Tinder and swiped right, and this just worked out. Like, that is not what is happening here. They have a previous relationship. They know each other. They know each other in a deep-seated way. He sees her as his standard of beauty, and she sees him the same way. As an apple tree among the forest, and, and she's a lily among thorns. They, they see each other as just the one for each other. And, and if you're single and if you're younger, I just want to tell you, be on guard. This relationship is so powerful, it can only be contained in marriage. When the sexual relationship goes outside of marriage, stuff starts blowing up. It blows up in your feeling of security. It blows up just in other relationships. And, and, and stuff just starts blowing up in your face. And what she's saying is, this is only meant to be contained within the marriage relationship. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. What this woman is trying to communicate is the power that sex has. And what the Bible says, the power of two becoming one flesh, what that all is. She's saying don't fall into the trap of thinking you can handle it before you're ready. Build that intimacy before you ever get to the physical. Build that commitment and that covenant of marriage before you ever get to the physical. So I want to end with three points here. Husbands, I'm just going to tell you straight out. Compliment your wives. Your wife. Don't have wives. <laughs> Don't have wives. I wrote that wrong. Cross out the S. My bad. We do not practice polygamy. Sorry for that. 
Let's wait till laughing settles down here. I did it the same. I the same problem is on number two. So so just cross that out too, and we'll save the laughter. Husbands, you need to compliment your wife. The beauty of your wife, she needs to hear it, and and, and she just she just needs to. This it's not me. It's the Bible. Okay, I'm not telling you to do this stuff. This is what the Bible is saying to do. This is what the Song of Songs is saying. That this man literally healed her insecurities. He, he brought her closer. There's this progression that they worked together before. And then all of a sudden they meet each other under this tree. And it's almost as if he's drawing her closer with his compliments. Guys, I think you know where I'm going with this. Compliment your wives. Wife! I just literally, I should just not be talking today. I can't say words to save my life. Ugh. <laughs> it's funny that in our society, like, you hear people ranking a woman, and you go, what is your problem? Like, who does that? But then as we're checking out and we see People's Magazine's 50 Most Beautiful People, we go, oh, yeah, no big deal. Just throw it on there. Right? We go, oh, we would never participate. Oh, my wife is my standard of beauty. But, oh, 50 Most Beautiful People, sure, yeah, throw that on there. We'll let a magazine rank them. I'm not ranking them. Don't fall into the trap, guys. Your wife is your standard of beauty. All these sorts of things in, in the world shows us and talks about in movies, TV shows, and, and, and you go down deeper in the rabbit hole, there's pornography, all that sort of stuff. It's saying that your wife does not look as good as them. No, you have to reject that. Your wife is your standard of beauty. Wives, compliment your husband. Again, cross that little S out. <laughs> Men are not as much objectified. It's just the case. Men are not as much ob- as objectified as women are in our world. But ladies... Ladies, one of the things that you see all through the Song of Songs is that she regularly compliments him. As a guy, I just kind of need to know sometimes, am I doing the right thing? Like, I just sort of need to, my wife's like, good job there. I'm like, okay, I needed to know that. I'm on the right track. You know, (laughs) I don't need it all the time. I just need to know I'm on the right track every now and again, right? Wives, compliment your husband. She calls him an apple tree among this, uh, she calls him an apple tree uh, uh, among the forest. She, she talks about how he is a cluster of, of henna blossoms in, in Gede. And what that is, it was sort of like how we hear the phrase, Vermont is for lovers. I, I think that was just clever on Vermont's part, right? But in Gede was the place known that young lovers went to, almost like as a honeymoon place. And ladies, guys, your husband needs that. Your husband needs that too. What I really want to get at today is, is this. Number three, it, it says this, God loves us when we are unlovable. Now, you're not really, in fact, unlovable, but we perceive ourselves as unlovable. And what I really want to get to is this, there is some allegory in the Song of Songs. It's not 100% allegory, and it's not 100% physical, but, but there is sort of this, we are all the women in this. So sorry, guys. We're all the women in this story. And all of us, at one point or another, have done things in our lives that we would just say, God wouldn't want me. God doesn't want me for what I've done or what I've said. God doesn't need this. I screwed up. I'm unlovable. I'm unworthy. I don't belong here. We've all said these things. We've all felt these things. 
with the things I've done, with the people I've hurt, with the stuff I've said. The book of Hosea is literally about the nation of Israel going after other gods. And, and what, he, what God does is he takes Hosea the prophet and he says, go after this woman, Gomer, who's a prostitute. And I want their, the marriage relationship to show what Israel has done for me. They've run astray, they've gone away. I want, that to show, I want it to show that off. And one of the things about the minor prophets is there's always these restorative chapters. And in chapter 14, verse 4, it says this, I will heal their apostasy. Apostasy is like totally like saying, um, I, I don't want to follow God anymore. There is no God. That's what apostasy essentially is. I will love them freely. These people who went astray, who prostituted themselves after other gods, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has been turned away from them. We are all this woman. We as a people say the things I've done, the places I've done, are gone, the pl- things I've said, God would never want me. We're all this woman. But the whole time, God is saying, I'll heal you. I'll bring you forth. He's speaking nice words over to, our, uh, to us, even when we are speaking horrible words over ourselves. In the book of Zephaniah, he says, I will rejoice over them with singing when they come back to me. God is sitting there looking at you saying, you are beautiful to me. My son will cover all that stuff up. All the stuff that you've done in your past, my, my son will forgive it. And, and all you got to do is, is turn from that walk with me. My, my son will take care of it. That's why I sent him to this earth to, to die for that sin. That sin that you just go, eh, I could, God could never love me. And he's screaming, yes, I can. And I do. And I want you to come to know me. This is the story of all of us. It's the story of the gospel. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. As we close this up today, We're going to sing the song, Good, Good Father. And the reason why we sing that song is because even with the stuff we've done, even with the stuff we've said, even with the the unworthiness that we all feel, He is good, and He is redeeming, and He's speaking words to us like, come to me. I want you. I love you. I want to heal your apostasy. I I want to love you freely. My anger is turned away from you. I want you to be my kids. In fact, I want to make you new again. And if you're here today, I just want to encourage you. Maybe you're, maybe you're watching at home, and I just want to encourage you. Right now, maybe there's this time where you simply need to say, God, I need you to make me new. I need you to make me a new person for my spouse. I need you to make me a new person for me. Because I keep doing the same old stuff that makes me feel unlovable. But that's a lie. You're not unlovable. That is an absolute lie from the enemy. So maybe you're here this morning and you simply just need to pray for the first time. Lord, forgive me. I want to walk new with you. Maybe it's been a while for you and you're just like, you know what? I got to start all over again. I started down this great path, but but I'm not there right now. I just need to repent and start over. I just want to encourage you to do that. And that could all change with the prayer. So if that's you, I want to encourage you to pray with me and, and to come up, talk to me after service. Let me know. Let's talk about that, and I want to walk with you through this time. Let's pray. Father, you are a good, good father. Lord, as we um, discussed this, this passage out of the Song of Songs, Lord, we, we are all this woman. We've all done this. We've all run away from you. 
We've all done things to make ourselves feel like we're not worthy. But Lord, we know that you just simply point to your son and you say, he's made you worthy. So Lord, if there's anybody here today who simply needs to start fresh, I just pray that 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 would happen right now. And Lord, they could just do it like this. Lord God, forgive me, a sinner. I confess that you were God. I confess my sins to you. I walk a, a new path with you, Lord. Help me to be, make me new. Make me new. Help me to be a new kind of person for you, for my spouse, or for the person who will be my spouse. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen.